Welcome to the Weekly Trend, a podcast for navigating the markets through the lens of technical analysis. The Weekly Trend podcast is provided for educational purposes only and does not constitute any professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the information or content without first seeking advice from a registered financial planner. Welcome back to another episode of the Weekly Trend. Today is April 30th, 2021. The S&P closed the week at 41.81. If that sounds like a familiar number, well, uh, two weeks ago, on April 16th, we closed the week at 41.83. So two weeks of absolutely going nowhere. Dave is not with me. This week, he's off hunting turkeys, and uh, to be honest, it's a pretty good week to do so. Absolutely nothing. We had some wonky action uh, Thursday. Big gap up. Took it down. Looked like it could get pretty nasty. They took it back up into the close. Overall, very much a market that continues to be in wait-and-see mode. Now, energy and financials, we talked a little bit last week. We could see a pop from value. Energy and financials did end up being the top two sectors of the week. Actually, energy finished up about 4%, financials 2.5%, communication services coming in third, about 3%. Now, as of Thursday morning on that initial pop that I mentioned, energy was actually up. Almost 8% for the week at that point. Um, so essentially just after three days. Finished the week only up four. So that got cut in half uh, quite a bit over the last two sessions. Tech and healthcare, your worst sectors of the week, then actually the only two sectors that were negative for the week. Staples, pretty flat. We like to see those near the bottom. Uh, the Dow continues to show a little bit of relative strength. In fact, all, with all four actually closing negative for the week, and that's kind of what happens, right? We only had two negative sectors, but yet all the indices were negative for the week. So that kind of goes to show you how powerful tech is. Also, one thing I found interesting that we're coming into is a a little bit of a seasonal, seasonal bullish trend for the dollar. And Gore Cooper pointed this out. So that certainly could have an effect on various asset classes in the coming weeks and months. Will it be a headwind for gold? We talked last week if gold and gold miners were going to be for real. That did end up being yet another, as I like to say, boy who cried wolf. Absolutely no one wants to own gold and we really it's not like we've seen a a strong dollar we've seen plenty of other metals and commodities things like that that have really seen a huge tailwind from the dollar but shiny yellow rocks have not gotten the same amount of love also would probably be a headwind for foreign stocks and we've had some strength out of foreign stocks there are pockets i mean we've mentioned 
Taiwan, Saudi Arabia has kind of seen some relative strength based on the recent rally in crude. But overall, when you look at, you know, all the country ETFs together, it's absolutely brutal. And I would say kind of the biggest black eye right now continues to be China. Really, that's uh, holding down, that's going to clearly hold down emerging markets. India also has not been very strong at all, either on a relative basis. Most parts of Latin America continue to really trend lower on a relative basis is not a pretty picture out there for foreign stocks. Now they are participating on an absolute basis, which we love. Uh, We like to see the global participation on a relative basis. uh, Absolutely no business owning too much outside of the US. Now I will put an asterisk next to that. European banks, Canadian banks, um, EM banks continue to be very strong. So there's lots of strength in the foreign financials, which is good because financials do make up a lot of these foreign indices, which is, and that's why that's been a headwind for the last decade, right? Because they don't own any tech and it's a lot of like healthcare and financials and stuff that underperforms. So maybe they'll finally catch a break and financials can do a little something. But overall, I don't think there's really any reason to be in broad, overweight positions outside of the United States. One thing that also is interesting, I talked earlier about how we've kind of had a funky do-nothing week really the last and really haven't gone anywhere in two weeks. Now we're kind of going to have an interesting gravestone doji look on the S&P weekly candle this week, which is following uh, what was a pretty nice candle last week that closed. Uh, that was a doji closed well off the lows looked like we would and should see some bullish continuation this week, but that does not seem to be the case. Now, I will say we had this exact same thing happen back in mid-July of 2020. And over the next few weeks uh, into, you know, we know that what happened September 2nd, September 3rd last year, but the next few weeks, the market, the S&P did rally quite a bit higher. In fact, about eight or 9%. So I'm not, again, I'm not saying we see that now. This is definitely an, in a chart of indecision. Clearly, if you haven't gone anywhere in two weeks, uh, we've got the dueling tails, not quite the same length, but I think it gives the same essence as dueling tails. Another really cool piece that I thought was pertinent to where we are and a great historical look back was J.C. Peretz put out kind of his thoughts on year, year two market behavior. Um, and I think it's clear, right, that we're in the year two of what would be a new bull market. And, you know, our bear market, I know it wasn't a prolonged bear market. It wasn't a multi-month or multi-year bear market that we had in March. But for all things considered, it's definitely going to go down as a bear market, obviously the quickest, but still counts. And if we're now entering year two, 
what would this typically look like, right? So big rally off the lows that lasts, oh, you know, 12 to 18 months. We saw this in 2009 and into 2010. We saw this 2003, 2004. We saw this 1992, the end of 92 and into 93, Q1 93 and Q1 2004. Excuse me, I misspoke there. Uh, 1982, not 1992, 1982. And then even back in 75 and into Q176. And what's interesting is that after all these big thrusts, the market, the S&P went sideways for an extended period of time. And usually... A good nine to 12 months is what I think you could typically expect. You saw this in 76 through 78. It's kind of a longer one. Again, 83, 84, uh, 2004, and into, yeah, 2004 is probably the quickest, about nine months. And then 2010, 2011, we know that is a pretty choppy market. So it would be typical to see a sideways move. And I think another example that comes off the top of my mind, I think in 2013, now we weren't coming off of a bear market bottom, but we saw a huge thrust in 2013 and in 2014, 2015, 2016, been going sideways, obviously into the 2016 election, we move higher from that into 2017, yada, yada. But it would not be astonishing to see the broad indices move sideways here for a while. And I, you guys know that Dave and I have been extremely bullish since last April, but, and we're not saying that, you know, this is not rolling over. This is not 2011 where we're going to hear double dip recession talk. But I think that a consolidation through time, right? And we can consolidate through price or we, the market can correct through consolidation or price time or price, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we start entering some of those periods. Now, are we in total breakdown mode yet? No. I mean, I think that there's some, there continue to be red flags. I wouldn't say the, you know, it depends on what breadth argument you look like. Advanced decline line is fine. Stocks participating. Yeah. Stocks above their 200 days, probably fine, but stocks above their 2050. I, I think that there are chinks in the armor in regards to some pieces of breadth. Now, we, we could have said that a few times along the path. We could have said that for really the last February or March, and look where we're at, right? This market continues to grind higher. So clearly, wait and see mode there. But I think it's a super strong argument that can be made. Another, another interesting relationship that, that I think is pertinent for where we're at uh, is actually Dan Russo's copper versus gold. So real close to breakouts there. And taking a step further, actually, Patrick Dunawill, another CMT, actually a newly crowned CMT, congratulations, Pat, pointed out the correlation between this relationship. So gold over, or I'm sorry, copper over gold, gold is the denominator, and the correlation with 10-year treasury yields. So if that relationship breaks higher, typically we would see 10-year yields break higher as well, or vice versa. If that relationship breaks down, copper starts to underperform gold, we could see treasury yields roll over. But we haven't seen that yet. 
banks continue to act very well again financials it's not just it's not just the banks and financials specialty financing and insurance lots of strong areas the exchanges the broker dealers even like the research like the sell-side institutional research type platforms i mean there's lots of there's lots of strong stuff going on lots of asset management stocks very strong financials are the top sector in our rankings right now uh, along with base metals corn MLPs, MLPs, actually the first of the energy sub industries to get back above their March highs. So if you're looking for out of strength, that's um, clearly there. Home builders, obviously, um, that is a horse we've beaten to death. Soybeans, more commodities, equate materials, real estate. Real, I think real estate, finally, real estate just got above its February 20 highs this week. I think it looks pretty nice. Um, good risk reward on a relative basis. Large caps continue to act pretty well. Russell has not made new highs. So still in kind of an odd, an odd spot there. The Dow S&P, NASDAQ still hanging up, hanging out above. And NASDAQ looks fine. Definitely don't want to see a breakdown any further, but... Not too much cause for concern. Don't want to see a breakdown below those mid-February highs on the 16th. Another interesting relationship taking place. Shane Murphy had pointed this out. Discretionary versus staples, both the equal weight discretionary versus staples making new highs. It's clearly bullish. So while there are some, uh, maybe people raising their eyebrows in regards to participation right now that small caps are underperforming, we're going to see breath fall off a little bit and that's okay it's nothing too alarming yet but all in all the indices broad indices continue to move higher uh, one thing that i wanted to touch on before the end here is that you know a big part of technical analysis is human behavior is that i mean that's what a that's all that really a price chart is is just a visual representation of hundreds of thousands of people making hundreds of thousands of decisions with billions and trillions of dollars. And that is displayed in, on, on a price chart. And it's just in very simplistic terms, just humans making decisions. They want to buy more, they want to sell more, supply, demand, charts go up, charts go down. But this week has been earnings week for a lot of big companies now while Dave and I really don't care about earnings. I don't, I don't know earnings personally. I don't think that the sell side is really even too good with these estimates, with their price targets and their EPS estimates and their revenue estimates. I mean, it's just all fugazi. It's, it's all about the price and behavior. And, you know, yes, earnings reactions are, are information, but from a technician's perspective, we like to see what is the reaction to earnings. So, for example, you see a company like Apple, blowout quarter, uh, from what I read. Blowout quarter, I don't read, I don't listen to conference calls, I don't read 10Ks, I don't read balance sheets. But from what I gathered from the little bit of uh, skimming that will, and you really didn't have to skim, it was pretty big news. Uh, so, blowout quarter from Apple. Gaps higher the next morning, April 
29th Thursday, gaps higher and is immediately sold off. And those are the other types of things that are somewhat red flags. Um, same with Amazon. Amazon blowout earnings didn't sell off, but now based off its initial reaction, it was a 5% uh, after hours again on, on Thursday evening. Finished today up half a percent, maybe somewhere in there. So if you want to say it, it sold off after the um, after the earning initial earnings pop, then yeah, you can make that argument. Not the most comforting when you see things like that. Now, a lot of people are going to say, "Oh, well, this was priced in the market." Whatever. I, I don't even. I don't. I don't know what's priced in the market or not. I to tell you what what is. That's that's for other people to figure out. But I will say that that's something I didn't necessarily care to see. I would have liked to see Apple close up four or 5%. I'd like to see Amazon close up four or 5%. Um, now all the banks, stocks have reported, the big banks have reported. For the most part, I think through the big um, companies that get put under a microscope, the big mega cap tech names, so maybe a couple weeks left in earnings. We'll see how it goes. It's clearly going very well so far as a whole. Just not a big fan of seeing stocks like Apple and Amazon have underwhelming reactions to what were great quarters, right? Again, it's just human behavior. Um, for whatever reason, they decided to sell and not buy after that information was made public. That's the way I view it. That's all I've got for you all this week. Again, Dave and I will be back together next week. Hope you enjoyed the short, quick episode, and we will see you next time. Have a good weekend, everyone.